I invite you to turn with me to Psalm 104. Uh, You may remember a couple of weeks ago we we covered the first half of the psalm through uh, verse 18, and we will continue uh, with this uh, today. Uh, Psalm 104 is a marvelous song uh, that leads us, teaches us, uh, to uh, praise more deeply the God of creation. Uh, It describes the wonders, the marvelous works of God in creation. Psalms 105 and 106 will talk about the marvelous works of God in redemption, but here in creation... And it encourages us to to look out for that hummingbird that hovers outside your window so that you you can marvel at God's wisdom and power in engineering and giving us something that is lovely as well uh, to look at. Creation reveals God's power, God's wisdom, and his compassion. This is what we learn from the book of creation. His power, his wisdom, and his compassion. And it is no wonder that this psalm was used in certain church traditions as part of a daily liturgical response to God. It would be read every single day by God's people in various traditions enabling us to develop that heart for God that we see uh, through the things that he has made. We will continue what we, what we were doing last week, and that is like a good waiter. Um, I will be describing the various courses of the meal, and then I will serve them to you, uh, reversing our normal order. We'll talk about each of these sections, and then, then I will read them, uh, read them to you. Very, very briefly in reviewing the first uh, 18 verses, uh, these things that were, are described here don't reflect perfectly the order of creation, but each of them can be linked to one of the days of creation. Light that comes to brighten the darkness of the formless void. Land and water that are separated. Clean drinking water that is provided for the animals. Plant life that yields bread for our strength, oil for ointment, and wine for the gladness of our hearts. Remember, God is not utilitarian alone, but he wants us to delight and enjoy the things that he has made. And then in verses 16 to 18, he comes back to the wilds, and there's a neat fit. Goats are made for mountains, mountains are made for goats. God makes both the the creatures and the environment uh, for each other in his good wisdom. Well, look with me now a little bit more closely at verses 19 to 23. The lights in heaven structure our time. The lights placed in the heavens structure our time, referencing the fourth creation day. The sun uh, marks the passage of time, of our days. The moon marks the passage of seasons. The phases of the moon mark Israel's feast calendar, uh, and the cycles of the moon still uh, govern our lives or contribute to our lives in some way. 
producing a particularly high and low tide that can affect our fishing, that can affect, affect our, our boating and so forth. We are affected still uh, by the cycles of the moon. And here we see also that it was God who came up with the idea of shift work. People working in ships and animals working in ships. Uh, some work while others sleep. Uh, dawn and dusk become the whistles that signal a shift has been made. The sun goes down, we go to sleep, and some of the animals get up to hunt. All of this is by God's wisdom. The lions, we read also, in their ferocity, still are fed by the hands of God. As powerful as they are, as vicious as they are, it is still God that places that food in their mouths. Let's, let's read these verses. He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows its time for setting. You make darkness, and it is night. When all the beasts of the forest creep about, the young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away, they lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. There is a pause uh, in verse 24. And this process of looking at each individual thing that is being created is interrupted, and there is an exclamation of praise, a general thanksgiving. It's like you push yourself back during a really, really good meal, taking a break, planning to come back for more, but you at least want to take a break and compliment the chef on the unbelievably good meal. And so it is in verse 24, O Lord... How manifold are your works. In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Let's pause here for a moment. We rejoice in what God has made because God does. The Lord rejoices in his works. Verse 31. We rejoice in what God has made because he did the Father delights in the Son, who is the master workman. The Son rejoices in the Father, in the things that are made. And amazingly, they rejoice in us as image bearers, which causes us to rejoice all the more in God. There is this circularity of rejoicing and praising in Father who has made these things, and even, amazingly, uh, finding uh, joy in we ourselves. Listen, I, uh, this is, I'm, I'm not making this up. Uh, this is in, in, uh, in, in Proverbs chapter uh, 8. We'll look at verses 30 and 31. And in that section, wisdom is personified. And it is speaking. And it is really the words of the Lord Jesus, the, Lord's, the words of the, the Son of God, who uh, are, are being uttered here. I was beside him like a master workman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. God the Son, delighting in the inhabited world, in his creatures, 
We marvel at the things God has made. He marvels at what he has made in his image bearers. And we join him in rejoicing in the glory of this creation. Moving back to Psalm 104. uh, In verses 25 and 26, there is reference to the sea and sea creatures. And this again would be the the fifth creation day uh, where the creatures are made to match the environment. The environment was created in, in in the second day and here the inhabitants of this of this environment are are mentioned on the fifth day. The huge seas teeming with creatures large and small. Ships have turned um, oceans that were once barriers into fishing fields. Uh, In uh, Beowulf, the old English uh, epic poem, uh, there is a device called uh, the kenning, the kenning, which is a doubling up of nouns as a description of, of another noun. And one of the words that is used in, in that poem is whale road. Whale road. Not railroad. Whale road that describes the seas. Uh, and and I, I, was, um, I was motoring around Penobscot Bay with my family some time ago, and, and as, as we were out there in that little, that little, uh, that little motorboat, um, we saw what certainly must have been a leviathan coming along behind us. Well, at least it was a small whale, a, a little pilot whale, and it was following us, and then it came up off, off to uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the starboard side there, and it began to breach as we were, tra- as we were just motoring along. It was following us alongside and, and breaching, and it was simply exhilarating to see that, I don't know, 25-foot whale that was uh, just about 50 feet away and, and stayed for a while playing with us, enjoying being a whale and playing with us. And we might connect this uh, with one of, uh, one of the, the a Kenny uh, from, um, as we saw from Beowulf, and, and call this one a whale playground. The sea is called the whale playground. It is where it, it God formed as... Tom reminded me this week, God formed the whale uh, to be, to, to, to sport uh, in that whale playground. God delights in the whale's play. Or, if you dare, look at the footnote that says, is it even God's play thing? Is God playing with the whale? You see, God is not strictly utilitarian. Again, as we see, things are... The whale is not just part of a food chain, and it's not just an oil producer. It is, a, it is a, an animal of delight. It enjoys leaping at, in Penobscot Bay. God enjoys it leaping in Penobscot Bay, and we delight in it as well. L- listen to this text. Um, here's the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, Living things, both small and great. There go the ships. And Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. God's whale playground. Verses 27 uh, to 30, God provides for his creatures. Um, They don't just graze 
on their own, God is feeding them. Open hands or closed hands. And they don't just die. Their breath is, uh, is taken away and they return to dust. And, and then look with me at verse 30 there. The Spirit of God, the Lord, the Holy Spirit is called the Lord and giver of life, is creating still. The life of every living thing depends on the Holy Spirit. And he renews the face of the ground. And that is the Spirit is active in procreation. He is active in reproduction. These all look to you, verse 27, to give them food in due season. When you give it, to, give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. Let's just stop there for a moment and consider some application for this. Three things come to mind. One is humility, um, one is gratefulness, and the other is trust. Humility, gratefulness, and trust. Let, as you read these psalms and consider who God is, let humility sweeten your life. Let humility sweeten your life. All that you have, your food, all the things that you have come from God's hands for you and be sweetened in humility by that understanding. We don't complain. We don't argue. We thank God. We practice thanking God for the things that he has given. Let humility sweeten your life. Let gratefulness spice up your prayers. Let grateful, gratefulness spice up your prayer. God gives us things to enjoy. God gives us different flavors of seasoning. God gives us different kinds of food that, that we delight in. And so as we're, even as we're praying, thank you, Lord, for the food, we can say thank you for the texture of, of this particular dessert item which we're going to have. Thank you for the, the blessings of Mexican seasoning in an otherwise bland pile of ground beef. Thank God for turmeric or the other seasonings that you enjoy. Because he made them individually to be combined by a, a, a good chef to create flavors that our mouths respond to. He would, he would like you to thank him specifically for the things that he has made. And when I find that when I do that, I, I feel much more personal in my relationship to God. I'm talking to a God who actually did these wonderful things, and he's hearing it, and he's appreciating my gratefulness. Let gratefulness spice up your prayers. And, and then finally, let trust calm your life. Uh, God gives and God takes away your breath. Um, you really don't have anything to worry about. Let trust in God calm your life.
Well, let's go to the dessert uh, in verses 31 and following. As we delight in the creation's wonder, as we've said before, because God does. We delight in what he has made because God delights in what he has made. And this is in such sharp contrast to secularism, which is such a barren religion. Uh, May you live forever, O Mother Earth, uh, for we are one with you. Something like that. It flattens nature and it flips God's hierarchy of value. A tree is even more important than an unborn child. Why? Because a tree contributes positively to the environment and an unborn child is simply one who takes from the environment. So it is considered a child is seen as a strain on the environment. What a dismal point of view. One writer put it this way. A boy is a dog is a rock. There is no difference um, in the essence of of, a, a boy or a dog or a rock. They have equal value or no value. A man determines the value, if any, that is ascribed to it. How different that is in our creation, in, in our... The Creator rejoices in the things that He's made. He rejoices in His works. Glory, His glory radiates from all that He's made. And and we mirror God as we sing praise to the God as long as we live. We mirror God who rejoices in His works, in what His wisdom conceives and what His power produces. May the glory of the Lord, verse 31, endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Just that far, right now. Two points of application we want to spin out for a bit here. First of all, as we've been saying, meditate on the creation for the glory of God. That means, children, think about the things that God has made. Uh, Murmur about them. Mutter about them. That word word for meditate carries the idea of chewing or, 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 or mumbling in repetition about the things that... Uh, God has made. Uh, Take time to marvel. Take time to be fascinated by the things that you're seeing. I had the delight um, last month uh, to, to, uh, uh, in the same week, uh, to observe the um, that oysters grown uh, in a main tidal river. And they are rinsed out with every ebb and flow of this tidal river so that they are cleaned out. And from, from that beautiful spot uh, out, outside of um, um, Edgecombe, uh, just a few days later seeing the jagged peaks of the Rocky Mountains. It was, it was an amazing thing. And my heart, my heart just expanded to marvel at the goodness of God. Kids, I I know big people too, but I want you to think about the part of creation that simply catches your fascination and your imagination. The part of God's creation that excites you, that you're... It draws your attention 
and you are riveted in your fascination. It could be lots of things. It could be spiders. It could be language. It could be, it could be trees. It could be flowers. It could be math. One of, one of our daughters will occasionally put something on Facebook, a title like Math for the Glory of God, something like that, which baffles me. But she's a mathematician. Praise God. What do you find in creation that fascinates you and say, this is for the glory of God. I want to study this. I want, to, I want maybe even to make it my life work. Consider what will be a lifelong study in the things that God has made. And then secondly, um, engage with creation in service to God. We've been talking about worship so far. But engage God's creation in service to God. And this is explicitly said in another psalm that goes this way. Great are the works of the Lord, just like Psalm 104 says. But then this psalm goes on to say, study by all who delight in them. Studied by all those who delight in them. Um, Science is our field of study. Science is our field of study. Uh, Christianity and science are not opposed, as some like to think, that the scientist is the one who is rational, and the religionist, whatever flavor he happens to be, is one who is superstitious. That is not at all the way the history of science has gone. Christians have been pioneers in modern science. Francis Bacon developed the scientific method. And he also said this, There are two books laid before us to study to prevent us from falling into error. The first is the volume of scriptures which reveals the word of God, and the second is the volume of creation which expresses his power. Francis Bacon was encouraged by the, the revelation of God in what he has made and spent his life work, uh, um, working on uh, and developing such things as the scientific method and other, other aspects. The Royal Society of London, when it was a fledgling academy of science, just at its very nascent, very early stages, seven out of ten of those first pioneers in the Royal Academy were not just Christians, they were Puritans, devoted to the Word of God, but also to the study of creation because they were faithful to God. Science is our bailiwick, people. We think of Johannes Kepler, who discovered the laws for planetary motion. We think of Blaise Pascal, a mathematician who also developed the first barometer. We think of Isaac Newton, who was an astronomer and a physicist and a theologian. One thing he said was this beautiful system of the sun, planets, and comets could only proceed from the counsel and dominion of an intelligent and powerful being. As Pascal said, Jesus Christ is the only proof of the living God. We only know God through 
Jesus Christ. We know things about God also in creation, but we know the triune God through his revelation in Jesus Christ. Not at all embarrassed to speak about gaining real knowledge and working on the things that God has made, but realizing that the true and beautiful and full revelation is through Christ. Michael Faraday discovered the electromagnetic induction and also the first generator. Louis Pasteur, a Frenchman, father of, of uh, bacteriology, began developing principles for vaccinations of all things. And his name is also on every bottle of milk you've ever bought. My brother-in-law, Alan, follows in that same, that same uh, stream, in that same tradition. Every time I go to uh, Northwest Iowa, I am stunned by the things that he is working on. He takes things that, uh, that are in God's, uh, God's raw materials, we might say, and he joins them together uh, for the good of mankind. And what he is working on right now, um, he, is, uh, he is splicing a particular protein into, um, into the, uh, the, the gene of, of corn. And that corn is then growing in the field and is fertilizing other ears of corn in that field. And so when harvest comes, that entire field is harvested and, and this protein that was spliced into the corn is extracted and it is perfectly pure. And this protein is 300 times sweeter than sugar. And as I see it, what do I know? But it looks like that just might revolutionize the way diabetics and others deal with uh, their, sweet, their sweet tooth. Mining the riches of God's creation for his glory and the benefit of God's people. This is our bailiwick, people. The realm of science. It is possible these days to be intimidated by the claims made by evolution as if it speaks the truth that is weighty enough to undermine biblical faith. But the scientific method has enormous weaknesses. There is phenomena that it studies. That things must be observed and tested and repeatable and falsifiable. And then you can begin to make, uh, you can make theories, draw theories from that. But evolution observes what is today and speculates how this complex and beautiful world might have come into being many, many years ago. It is limited and it does not have, it is not set up to make those kind of, of observations or those kinds of declarations. The theory of origins and spontaneous orderly arrangement of matter from our perfect solar system. Perfect. The, the, the length of the revolutions around the sun, the distance from the sun, the tilt of the earth, all perfectly set up uh, to preserve life on this planet. The detail of cellular life. Man, I don't have enough faith to be a materialist. I just, it is too complex and too beautiful to self-create. 
And we have the scientific community essentially whistling in the dark, believing a system that only a darkened mind could come up with and believe. The heavens do, in fact, declare the glory of God. Well, let's slip back down to the very final verse. And this is a verse, in fact, one of, one of uh, members of the congregation texted me this week with the question, what is verse 35 doing in Psalm 104? <laughs> what is that about? All of this praise to God for the things that he's made, and then this, let sinners be consumed from the earth, and let the wicked uh, be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul, praise the Lord. Bring down the wicked. Praise the Lord. What's that about? Well, it's hinted at in verse 32. Look at this. It says, uh, May the Lord rejoice in his works, who the Lord looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountain, mountains and they smoke. Uh, God is not just exalted for his majesty and his power and wisdom and compassion in creation, but for his justice and judgment. Well, how does this fit with the beauty and the order of creation? Remember, it is the glory of the Spirit's work hovering over the formless darkness of the deep. And there the triune God formed the magnificent and majestic beauty of the earth, while now it groans because of the rebellion there will be a day of reckoning when sinners will be judged. And the Spirit will do a marvelous work of remaking what he's already made and what has in some measure been spoiled by man. The Spirit will do a marvelous job of remaking this gorgeous universe. And it's already begun in the resurrection of Christ. And if this, what we observe today, if this is groaning, and it is, Romans 8, if this is groaning, can you conceive of the renewed form? This prayer of verse 35 is answered um, in the fullness of the new creation. And not only does the new creation begin with the resurrection of Christ, but we're a part of it too. If you are united to Jesus, you are connected to him in his death, in his rising from the dead, and in his ascension into heaven. We're part of that new creation now. And we look at the earth around us, we look at the chaos and the sin that is around us, and we too can long for that time when sinners will be renewed, removed from the earth, and the renewed earth will be free from contamination. As the book of Revelation says, nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. And that's why we end this gorgeous psalm with these words, let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. In other words, come Lord Jesus, come quickly and usher in the new heavens and the new earth. Let's pray.
God and Father, Lord Jesus Christ, and blessed Holy Spirit, we thank you for the beauty of your word that describes and invites us to consider the beauty of what you've made. And may our hearts uh, be uh, uh, continually ignited in praise and adoration for the things that you have made, so that we may walk with greater and greater humility before you, trust in your care, and also gratefulness in the things that you have made. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.